welcome to FinTalks, a chat with Finance Malta. As you can see, this time we are not in a studio. We are completely out in a relaxed environment because it is a special edition of this podcast that we are used to for the past year. As many of you know, Finance Malta is celebrating 15 years of its inception. And as a result of this uh, um, these celebrations, we are in an environment where we're going to have a chat with the three chairpersons. Three chairpersons that have been um, at the helm of Finance Malta in different eras. So let me introduce the first one, who is Mr. Joseph Zamit Tabona, who uh, was the first chairperson of Finance Malta, followed by Kenneth Farooja who spent almost nine years, right, Kenneth? With exactly. And uh, the current chairperson, Rudolf Saila. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for being with Pleasure. us um, today. My first question is addressed to you, Joe. In 2004, Malta joined the European Union, and uh, uh, three years later, Finance Malta was set up. Joining the EU helped Finance Malta, for sure. Yes. Can you tell us in what way? Well, it helped in many ways. One way had to actually adopt to the legislations that were in place in Europe. So uh, in that respect, it also advanced our um, economic activity in that sector. I think it should be borne in mind too that although we actually joined the Europe in 2004, more to join the Eurozone in 2008. And that obviously gave us further advantages, uh, certainly in the financial service sector. I think what one has to actually bear in mind is why was Finance Malta actually set up? Um, the reason why it was actually set up was that uh, at the time, in 2004, the MFSA, or the Malta Financial Services Authority, was, besides being the regulator, was also doing most of the marketing. And it was thought that the marketing should be done by a private sector. So Finance Malta was actually initiated around 2006, and it was actually uh, set up in April 2007. And the composition of the actual board was made up of eight persons, four representing the government and four persons representing the seven institutions that existed at the time with an independent chairman, and I was the first chairman. Actually, uh, Kenneth was my deputy at the time, so dip, uh, Kenneth's been on, on, the, on the board of uh, Finance Malta Besides the nine years that he actually was there as, as chairman, he was there for another two years because I was there from 2007 to 2009. Um, I was then actually appointed um, Malta's High Commissioner to the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. So I, I had to then resign and kind of took over from my, from my position. But to answer specifically your particular question, I would say yes. Malta has done extremely well. Um, it has actually grown at an average rate of around 8% per annum uh, for, since 2009 to date, yeah. other than the two years uh, of, of COVID. But until 2019, it has actually grown at a consecutive rate of that 7-8%. Yeah. Uh, it employs around 12,000 people and, and contributes about a billion euros in uh, revenue. During, um, as, as you're saying, rightly so, the, the organization itself is quite young. So, and when, when it was set up, there was also the international financial crisis. 
Um, what were the challenges and opportunities at the time? I think the, the, the international financial crisis was developed, obviously, <coughs> in, in the US, and it was relating to the uh, mortgage crisis, where actually, um, I think Kenneth can actually probably define it in a better way, in that mortgages were remortgaged two or three times over, and it was then actually, uh, it was brought to light that um, the certain actual properties were being applied as mortgages two or three times over. Um, that created uh, a, certainly a financial crisis in the, in the US mainly, and it resulted with uh, the collapse of Lehman Brothers uh, mm -hmm. on the 15th of September, I think, uh, 2008. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, as far as Malta, and if I remember correctly, and I stand to be corrected again by Kenneth, um, Malta <coughs> did not lose very much. To my knowledge, I think we lost a few million, uh, about seven million, I think, at, at the Bank of Valletta through its investments. But there was actual total collapse, certainly in the US, which then, with the result of Lehman Brothers actually going into liquidation, that actually created other financial um, collapses. It included also uh, certain accounting firms, uh, which actually went under. Uh, one particular one, Arthur Anderson, actually. Um, and obviously, it was a time when people had to actually merge and consolidate their position because of the financial crisis that existed at the time. Let me shift uh, my question to Kenneth. Um, you were at the helm for nine years, as we said earlier. Let's start with your first few years as chairperson of Finance Malta. It was a time where Malta's economy was booming. What opportunities did you embark on so that you can, can practically milk all this? I think continuing on what Joe was saying earlier, um, you know, Finance Malta's remit was really to position Malta as a financial services jurisdiction outside its shores. And it wanted to do that on the basis that Malta had already developed a domestic industry in a number of areas of the financial sector, of the financial industry. So if you look at the asset management sector, we already had introduced legislation in Malta, uh, which enabled, in, way back in 1995, which enabled the setting up of a number of asset management companies in Malta, uh, evolved into asset servicing companies. Uh, we saw a number of insurance companies um, being set up in the jurisdiction. So we had really the, the very solid foundations, but only at the domestic level. Prior to joining the EU, we did see as well a trickle of foreign operators setting up in Malta, um, predominantly in the, in the asset management space. Um, some were setting up funds here in Malta. We had a very good um, fund regime. We also saw a number of insurance companies setting up in Malta. And it was evidently clear from an industry perspective that Malta had the right uh, ingredients in place, if I may use that word, um, to propose itself as a jurisdiction for international operators in these key sectors. So the first thing that we did is let's define those sectors where Malta has a strong value proposition to attract operators to our shores. And we identified a few of these sectors, so it was definitely the insurance sectors, the insurance sector, the asset management sector, the family office and family business space as well. Mindful of the fact that when Malta joined the European Union, it benefited from the ability to passport products and services into mainland Europe. 
right? And that was a big advantage. Apart from the fact that when one looks at the costs of operating in Malta, Malta was definitely very cost competitive, equally adding as well the agility of the regulator at that time. And so I the say, appetite was there. So I think we had a very compelling proposition to go outside our shores and propose Malta as a jurisdiction from where one could conduct its, its financial services business. And we set this out, doing this in a, in, a, in a myriad of ways. So first we identified those jurisdictions that we would be targeting. And some of them were European jurisdictions, you know, the likes of the UK, the likes of, of Italy, um, where we felt that there were operators that would be interested in, 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 in our proposition. But we also looked outside, outside of Europe because clearly being a member of the EU enabled non-EU operators to set up their base in Malta and target um, EU, EU jurisdictions through passporting. So let's take, for example, the asset management sector. So they could set up a fund in Malta and that fund would benefit from the ability to be passported um, in all EU member states by simply being based in a new jurisdiction in Malta. The agility of the regulator, the cost of operation in Malta made it even more compelling to do so. So we targeted operators in the, in the, in the US, we looked as well at the Gulf states, and we started then addressing um, the target audience by looking at gatekeepers, and traditionally gatekeepers would be the law firms, the audit firms of the SWELD that service clients. Uh, we looked at events that were being organized for these specific um, um, sectors, sectors, so insurance events, asset management events. And, you know, we started positioning finance Malta. As international, well. international. We started positioning Malta, finance Malta um, in, these, in, these, in these venues. And clearly the, the branding and visibility of Malta as a jurisdiction as a result of all these initiatives started gaining traction with the result, as Joe highlighted earlier, that we went from an industry which used to contribute just 3% to GDP to contribute to around 11 to 12% of GDP, right, over this period. I think it's important to mention as well that the finance Malta model was then replicated in other sectors because it worked. Because as Joe said, it's the industry really pushing its value proposition outside our shores. And we saw a number of finance Malta lookalikes in a number of areas being set up, right? We have Tech Malta today and Gaming Malta. Uh, and I think it works because it brings competitors, <laughs> literally, together under one roof to promote business to come to Malta. If I may, actually, sure. I think it all started really around 2003 when we actually set up Malta Enterprise. We actually then went to actually islands to actually yeah. use the model of islands. And we did the same thing with Finance Malta, where we went again yeah. to replicate and see what they were doing, and, and, and we more or less copied what's uh, their model. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we can see that bringing together operators that have an interest in attracting business to Malta, you know, uh, it means that it has flourished. If we look at the asset management sector, we had, I remember, a handful of operators. Today we have a significant number of asset managers and, and asset service providers in, in the jurisdiction servicing the industry. Likewise, if you look at the insurance sector. Now, clearly the proposition was not simply based on Malta being attractive and we're agile and we're cost competitive. It is important to mention as well that the regulator put in place a sound regulatory framework with yeah. distinct advantages, right? 
which made Malta stand out, like in the insurance sector, for example, there are specific advantages for the insurance sector. Likewise, in the asset management sector, we introduced certain fund regimes, which made it attractive for operators to set up here. And it's all about innovation and how you stand out, you know, when compared to other competing jurisdictions in Europe. Exactly. Because... The same thing like what we did in game. Absolutely. Yeah. If you look at, at jurisdictions like Ireland, like Luxembourg, you know, it's all about how innovative your proposition is and, and its ability to attract operators to the market. Kenneth, then the last part of your years um, had some turmoil. Yes. Because obviously the financial sector was heavily criticized by various international institutions. What you've just explained of what you managed to do during your first term, um, how did this then affect um, both the, the, the country as well as your job internationally? Because ultimately you had to go out abroad and still sell the country. Look, uh, the criticism was really and truly not leveled at the financial sector. Malta always had a very robust financial services regime on, in, the, in, in the country. There were issues at national there level were. which clearly um, you know, permeated the financial sector yeah. to, a, to a degree. And it's all about um, you know, the banking demits, right, as they say. So it's being out there, being present um, in, in, in the venues where operators meet and discuss financial services teams and where there are concerns that are aired in this respect, you demystify and you clarify actually what the financial services jurisdiction stands for. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and this is what we did during this period. It's not that you cower in a corner and you take the flag. It's being out there and you know meeting, um, and we did organize meetings, um, and I'm pleased to say that even the political um, arena joined us in these venues. I remember going to the UK and meeting a number of media houses and having the journalists there, and you know addressing some of the concerns that were expressed by, by the media because you want to ensure that they, it's, it's fully clear for them what the jurisdiction stands for. And there, I can assure you there, were, there are no issues with the financial sector per se. The issues were around the national um, incidents that happened in the jurisdiction, which impacted the financial sector. Rudolf, you've been uh, finance Malta chairperson for over two years. Yep. It wasn't a walk in the park. Um, let's start with the first, the yeah. first um, as aspect, which was um, the grey listing, yeah. and then uh, and then also the Moneyval report that obviously continued to tarnish Malta's reputation. Let's start with that for now. Yep. Um, what, uh, what did you do? What did Finance Malta do to try and show and showcase the country that uh, we are actually not, um, uh, we should not be blacklisted? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> there's also um, COVID-19 as well um, to, to put into the mix, but, but... I was going to mention it the second part, oh, first okay. you had that and then so, the yeah, pandemic. It's, it's the pleasure is yet to come. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at, at the um, FATF report and the, the fact that Malta was realistic, um, yeah, I mean, at initially, um, everyone was a bit concerned in terms of what we're going to do. But um, as Finance Malta, we could interest on our lawyers and say, all right, I mean, we're grey listed and that's it, right? So we had to put more effort and we had to go out there because we had to disseminate information that, that um, the, um, uh, the industry is, is robust. Um, uh, we had a number of authorities. If you look at in the past 18 months, we had the MFSA, MBR, um, NCC, 
I mean, they, they have implemented a number of initiatives. FIU. And FIU, exactly. Um, so it's, it's not the journey, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Um, and, um, and that's obviously was something that we wanted to, to tell people out there. So we, we had um, developed um, a number of, of, we have developed a number of initiatives. I mean, when I was appointed as chairman, um, we were planning this strategy for 2020. And we wanted to focus on five key initiatives. One is internationalization, because we didn't want Finance Malta to stand on its own. We wanted to um, develop links, bridges, with other foreign authorities. And we did develop um, a number of, of, of uh, bridges. We, are, we have an observer status with the World Alliance, which is an association that the members of this association are entities like Finance Malta. We signed um, a MOU with Abu Dhabi. Um, we, signed, um, we have a strategic partnership with Innovate Finance. We are also part of EU Roundtable. And we also signed another um, agreement with um, uh, Israel, FinTech. So we're working on internationalization. Then we also wanted to focus on value added, value creation to our members. So we have um, initiated a number of, of initiatives like podcasts, uh, like FinTalks, where we invite our members, we give them the opportunity to showcase what they do and to discuss certain, certain things, yeah. Um, then we went to digitalization. Um, little did I know that we're going to rely a lot on that um, for the, uh, the next two years. <laughs> yeah? um, so 45% of the team at Finance Malta focus on digitalization. So we have upped our um, social media platforms, um, the website. I mean, this is something that I will mention um, when addressing the COVID question. Yeah? Um, then we also wanted to um, work with partners. So there is TechMT, FIU, MBR, MFSA. And it was important that um, we partner with these entities because going out there and promote the Malta brand, it, there will be more probability of success if you do it as one team, Malta Enterprise as well. And that, for us, it was important. So we organized a number of joint events um, with these entities to further um, promote, promote Malta. So Would you say that, that what you just said helped also Malta's perception in some people's minds that it is, a, um, it is not what it is being said or perceived? Yes, it helped. And also we have to keep in mind that there was the Monival report, which obviously um, the test showed that Malta passed the test with flying colours. So it's true that there was a Monival report where we failed, but also recently there was one where uh, we passed uh, the test quite well. We had, there was also positive feedback from <coughs> the FATF president. Um, there were also positive feedback in, in the media. So things are, are, are changing. So yeah. would you agree with me if I say that um, it was, it, ultimately it was a good thing that we had to go through this? I think to there brush were... Up <coughs> I mean, there were certain things that we had to change, right? Um, and I think we, we grabbed the opportunity. Um, we worked as one team. So this was not the um, role or, or the job of one entity. Yeah. yeah, it was the job of a collective effort. A number of entities took part, as also our members, because obviously there were new regulations yeah. being introduced, um, enhanced compliance requirements, uh, and our members had to spend more money and obviously employ more people 
um, to comply with these requirements. And this is a journey which does not have a finish line, right? Because we need it's to like continue working yeah. on it. It's something that is not going to stop when we are going to become whitelisted. We have to continue building on what we have built so far. The second part was another not walk in the park. Mm. There we had COVID pandemic. So yeah. I, I guess the, the idea of going abroad and showcasing the country could not actually happen uh, yes. physically. Yes. Yes. Um, so how did you handle this? Yeah. And I, uh, to be honest, I think COVID-19 for Finance Motor, the fact that Finance Motor goes out there to promote yeah. the jurisdiction. I, I tend to say that COVID-19 had a bigger impact because obviously we had to redefine our approach. We had to think outside the box and say, what are we going to do? But um, considering that one of the, the, the pillars was digitalization, um, we have invested quite a lot on that. So we're focused on our social media platform. Uh, we had Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, the the uh, members has increased significantly today we post more than one article, for example, on LinkedIn and Facebook a day. So we're putting quite, quite a lot um, there. We also develop the network. We organize as well the annual conference um, instead of having a physical um, uh, meeting and networking. Um, we invested in a hybrid um, uh, option. Um, we organize webinars, FinTalks. So we had to completely think outside the box. But digitalization was key. To, to, to be able to deal with the challenges posed by COVID. Doing all this, yeah. what was the response then, the feedback? Oh, the feedback was positive. I mean, for example, I, I got a couple of statistics. Um, the financial institutions, for example, um, they increased from 40 to 52 between 2021, right? which is a 30% increase. The gross premium written um, uh, increase on 2019 to the beginning of 2021 from 4.6 million to around um, 6.3, another 30% increase. Um, and, and we haven't witnessed from the feedback that, that we got that um, there were any entities that left the country um, or an exodus of, of, of companies that, that left the country yeah. because of grey listing, etc. Yeah. Yeah, so, so um, uh, yeah, that's, I, I was going to say, that was part of the most important thing, really, to try and actually keep, keep all the Everything. people that were yeah. here. Yeah. 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 There were certain companies that did leave, yes. but I think we need to continue to actually strengthen and, and uh, get the needs of the existing companies that yeah. are still here. I mean, the stakeholders put a lot of effort because you had the NCC, um, mm -hmm. led by Mr. Alfred Camilleri, MFSA, Kifana, LFIU, uh, the government, because obviously they had to have the, 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 the um, willingness as well of the government, which um, obviously um, wanted to ensure that we come out of this um, grey listing ASAP. And that was important, and it was yeah. highlighted as well uh, by the president of FATF. E even by the, the business community itself exactly. was asking exactly. to exactly. be out of it. So everyone was like on yeah, the same on board. wavelength. On yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I just wanted to ask this question to the three of you, and I wanted to start with Joe. Um, in one of his interviews, Rudolf, and I quote, uh, the, one of his very few first interviews, I must say, was in our industry, trust and integrity are everything and these two attributes are the basis of a good solid jurisdiction. From your experience, um, 
15 years ago. Do you t still think that these two ingredients are crucial are still, to this very still day? crucial, yes. I, I am in agreement with that. I, I, the way I market things, um, I do meet a lot of people abroad, uh, but what I'd like to do is to actually bring them down to Malta on a familiarization visit for 36 hours, 48 hours, and depending on who they are, um, how important they are, uh, they can actually meet up with the Prime Minister, Minister, heads of government entities. I don't think this can be done anywhere else in any other EU jurisdiction. Okay, yeah. Malta has the advantage that the Prime Minister and Ministers and heads of government institutions are all very accessible. And to us, that is a big advantage. And all our potential investors are all surprised that they can actually meet up with these people yeah. in a relatively short period of time. The, the size of our jurisdiction undoubtedly plays to our advantage, but sometimes those attributes are clouded by perceptions, right? And what's important is to manage those perceptions yeah. and ensure that people have the correct picture because that influences their decision where to base their business, right? Uh, we need to remember always that it's innovation that drives our value proposition. And as Rudolf said, when it comes to governance, it's a journey. Same goes with the value proposition. It's a journey, right? And we need to ensure that we continue to innovate. I, I believe it's the responsibility of the industry to be a driver of innovation and government and uh, regulatory authorities to be enablers of that innovation. Yeah. I think we've come a long way. And, uh, you know, considering that Smalta was great listed and that undoubtedly has an impact on business, right? I'm sure that there are operators that were intended to set up business in Malta that somehow shelved a bit their plans, you know, to see sort of the outcome of this. The writing is on the wall that Malta has come a long way. You know, when you look at, at regulators and you look at the changes they have put in place in a relatively short period of time, you know, I think that's a testimony of the agility of this jurisdiction, right? It's like an audit, right? So we were audited, we had some weaknesses, and we set ourselves to address those weaknesses. And I am very confident that, you know, we will have a green report ultimately, because a lot of effort has been expended by the industry and regulators in this space. Yeah, what I was going to say was basically, I think we all need to actually get together and all work for the same goal. Exactly. Yeah. It's a I presume you still, you still agree with those two ingredients. Yeah, my answer was <laughs> in the rest of the article. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that makes my life easier because I can go for the next question. <laughs> we'll include that with this interview. <laughs> um, during, the, during my various podcasts with Finance Malta, um, something common that came out from, from the experts and the people in the industry is that we need to look into digital um, currency, currencies. Do you think it's high time to do this? I don't think that we are prepared for it. Um, I mean, for example, I mentioned the banking sector, right? Um, I don't think they are, not locally only, but I mean internationally as well, prepared for that. Um, but um, there are a number of developments taking place. Uh, they're being led as well by the EU. And there are a number of directives which are going to be issued. Um, it's a reality that, that we are facing. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're going to be with us for the years to come. So we need to embrace change. And we need to see how we can um, use technology and innovation 
to be able, obviously, to safeguard and protect the consumer's interests, but also to um, uh, develop the sector further. Mm. I think when we introduced our legislation, we were too much ahead of the game, <laughs> quite frankly. Okay. Yeah. So we were really and truly first movers, yeah, right, yes. in putting in place a regulatory framework for virtual financial assets and for blockchain is for that. But as Rudolf is rightly saying, the ecosystem, and when I say the ecosystem, not only in Malta, the ecosystem at European level was not yet in place. Yeah. I mean, European regulators were still assessing, you know, the use of virtual currencies. They were obviously concerned with investor protection. You know, it was a new digital currency coming to the fore. Yeah. There were even concerns expressed by central banks. But now central banks are really, you know, pushing to introduce digital currencies themselves, right? Which I think is a step in the right direction. But it's all about not just introducing the regulatory and legislative framework in isolation. You need, as Rudolf said, the supporting ecosystem around that, right? Whether the acceptance of the European regulators, because we are part of Europe, and equally so, the support infrastructure, particularly of the payment institutions and the banking sector. And I can tell you, I mean, we already have digital banks in, in the country. But it's one thing having digital banks and empowering customers to self-service their requirements through digital channels. Here we're talking about the replacement of fiat currencies with digital currencies, yeah. which is a different kettle of fish. Yeah. There were issues around the anonymity of the ownership of mm -hmm. virtual financial assets, which is still a concern, particularly given the heightened sensitivity around the ML. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there were these factors at play which I think dampened the permeation of digital currencies within the market. But there is clearly space for that and I see that happening because I believe that the global payments infrastructure is so archaic. I mean, if you think about sending a payment, say, from Malta to China, right? So someone goes to a bank, orders a payment, the payment goes from the bank in Malta to its correspondent bank abroad, to the correspondent bank in the Asian region, to the bank of the client. In, so it goes to at least four pit stops, right? When I should have the ease and ability to transfer payment directly to you, to you. without having to go through these channelings. So there are these issues and factors at play. So there is definitely space for digital currencies in my view going forward. We just need the enabling ecosystem to be in place. Unfortunately, we have to um, close this chat, but I would like to ask one last question. I would like to start with Joe. Where do you see Finance Malta in the coming 10, 15 years? Well, um, I, think, I, I think I must actually say that we, we I don't know if you're aware, but uh, we have actually developed, the, let's say, the Malta Financial Service Advisory Council. And that actually has developed a strategy for the next 10 years. Now. The strategy is in place. Uh, it is in the hands of Minister Caruana. Um, he's actually going through the process of what is referred to as Block B, Plan B, which is referred to as the, um, the, the revision on the tax system. Once he's comfortable with that, that strategy is going to be incorporated into our strategy and then passed on to the Minister of the Cabinet of Ministers. I really believe that Malta has a great future. Um, I think the, um, the, the strategy document itself actually has some 200 recommendations. We need to all work together. Uh, and I'm very confident that Malta will regain its reputation and move forward in the years to come. Definitely. I'm obviously anxious to move this as fast as possible, within, certainly within the next 12, 18 months to three years. 
Uh, and then obviously, I think life, particularly in the financial service sector, is going to change very rapidly for, for the points actually that are being mentioned by, by Kenneth, be it the payment system and everything else. So um, whilst it is a 10-year strategy, obviously change is bound to happen during that particular period. Kenneth? No, definitely a bright future. I'm very optimistic um, for the growth of this industry. I think we've come a long way. Um, and that's evidenced by the number of operators, foreign operators already based here. I think obviously the grey listing issue will be behind us um, within the next 6 or 12 months in my view. So I think that should allay the concerns of operators who set up in Malta. As Joe said, a lot of work has been done on the strategy document. Um, you know, there was a participation of a number of industry operators um, through different committees purposely set up for this. And I think we have really, as I said, a bright future ahead of us. I think we have some compelling propositions for the operators out there to come and operate from Malta. You know, give them the benefits of operating in a you know, highly regulated jurisdiction, a sound regulatory infrastructure, being cost competitive, and more than that, being agile and being innovative. Yeah, yeah um, we're small, but we always um, face the challenges that we had as a country. Um, and we face them because um, everyone is on board and we see this as a collective effort. Um, the future is bright, there will be challenges, um, new regulations, new requirements, um, but so the past, right? So we always had, had those challenges. I think it's important that we continue innovating. We need to focus on innovation, innovation the way we do business, innovation in terms of new products, innovation in terms of how we deal with, with investors, with new business, how we can attract more business. But it's also equally important that we invest more in technology. That has to be the future, yeah? Because um, technology is going to dominate what we do. And the financial sector is definitely going to be driven by, by technology. We already have rec tech, we have uh, the insurance tech, the technology is going to be there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think, um, when we look at the strategy as well of Malta, the government, the, the, the one which was developed um, by, by the committee chaired by, by Joe Zamitabona, I think the basis for that is going to be technology. Thank you, Joe Zamitabona. Thank you, Thank Kenneth Faruja. Thank you, Rudolf Saila, for coming here. And uh, together with me, we had this chat about the history of finance Malta and what we um, what's the future going to look like uh, for, this, for this institution. I would also like to uh, encourage you all to follow this uh, podcast on all the social media platforms that Finance Malta can offer. Thank you very much.